0: This is a UC Public Policy Channel program from the Goldman School of Public Policy at UC Berkeley. Visit us at www.uctv.tv public-policy for more discussion on solutions for the good of all. Charlotte, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the living room here of the Goldman School, which you know well.
1: I do. Thank uh, you. Yeah.
0: So tell me about before you came to GSPP, you were involved with a group that tried to help corporations uh, work with citizens groups. So tell me about that. What was involved in that?
1: Before coming to GSPP, I worked for a company called Change.org. A lot of people know it. It's the biggest petition platform in the world. And so about 100 million people would use the site to ask companies, but also politicians and often local politicians, city councils and the like, to pass specific reforms or to abstain from doing something. My job uh, right before I left was to meet with big brands, you know, Nike, JCPenney, uh, Disney, and show them how to use our site so that they could communicate with their customers um, and respond to some of these petitions. So
0: how did boards react to that? I mean, corporations aren't always that thrilled with being told by citizen groups what to do. And so tell me about the dynamics.
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of these companies were excited to... Use change' platform to get a better understanding of what their customers mm-hmm. wanted. There are so many different voices coming at corporate leadership, you know people on Facebook, people on Twitter, people sending in messages to the info mm-hmm. account, um, people coming into retail stores and talking to the workers right. there and so if you can have a centralized platform where the the kind of change makers out there the the activists are are raising their voices and you know, building communities around specific issues is actually really helpful for some of these companies to, to have the, access to.
0: The ones you mentioned are very consumer-oriented, mm-hmm. too, I think. Disney cares a lot about its image. JCPenney of course, has stores. Mm-hmm. Nike sells shoes and cares a lot about its image. Is that an important feature, I think, of what made it work, is that they care so much about consumers?
1: I think so. Yeah. I mean, you've got to build customer loyalty. I think increasingly people in the United States want to know that where they shop, um, that the companies where they shop are aligned with their personal values uh, and so this is increasingly important, especially for a company like Nike that has had some scandals mm-hmm. in its past mm-hmm. and is really trying to rebrand itself as a as a socially conscious company.
0: What's your bottom line on that? I mean, is this working? Do you think corporate America is getting more responsive through these kinds of mechanisms, especially using something like the platform that allows people to actually express their views and...
1: I, I'm an optimist, I mean, and, exactly. I, and I, I do think so. One good example is that, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, the Boy Scouts of America uh, were not accepting gay troops. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few different gay Boy Scouts came on the Change.org site and launched a series of petitions directed at companies that were on the board of the Boy Scouts, mm-hmm. um, companies like UPS, um, and said, you know, please step down off the board or... Um, push the Boy Scouts to make this change within the year. And multiple companies uh, decided to speak to the president of the Boy Scouts and push them to make that change. And within a year, this was you know, a couple of years ago, but within a year at that time, the Boy Scouts did admit in gay troops. So I think it really can work.
0: So what did you learn about techniques like the Internet and, uh, and the platform the change had? What What's the power of those methods?
1: I think it... All comes down to personal stories. Mm -hmm. If you can shift from, you know, 200,000 people are broadly calling on the Boy Scouts to admit gay scouts to, I'm a gay Boy Scout. Here's my story. And all these people are joining with me in in support of me and people like me. That's a really powerful emotional shift. And that's what we're trying to bring into some of this new anti-corruption work that I'm doing, Uh, help people around the country identify ways in which You know, corruption in government affects their lives and bring those stories to politicians and special interests and to the broader American people to show why this is a big problem.
0: So you're working now with represent us, Mm -hmm. uh, which is trying to deal with, as you say, corruption. Why the word corruption? Is this technically corruption? Can the politicians be put in jail for some of the things they're currently doing?
1: So we're talking about legalized corruption, corruption that we would like to make illegal through the law. Right now, it is completely possible for a special interest to write a draft of a law put it in front of members of Congress, and then give those Congress people money, big checks, and then say, okay, pass our law, and the Congress does. We saw this happen really recently in the Senate with an update to the Toxic Substances Control Act. Mm -hmm. This was a bill that was passed back in 1976 to regulate toxic chemicals. Hasn't been updated since. The Senate is finally tackling an update. They just passed Mm -hmm. a bill, actually. But it turns out the original version of this bill, again, a bill meant to regulate toxic substances, was written by the chemical lobby, uh, by the main organization that represents chemical companies. And again, this chemical lobby gave 54 million dollars to members of the Senate that they were lobbying to pass legislation, so that may not be something that you can currently be thrown in jail for as a senator. But we do think that that kind of activity should be illegal. You can lobby a politician and you can donate to a politician, but you shouldn't be able to do both.
0: So. You're worried about the influence of money in American politics. And, of course, a lot of people, uh, even on the, le- on the right, you know, mm-hmm. as, including on the left, are concerned about that. So what does Represent Us, what is their approach? What kinds of things do they want to change Uh, I think they have a three-point program. What is that program?
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, So we're pushing for what we call the American Anti-Corruption Act. That's our template legislation, and we're also passing versions of this in states and cities around the country. And each one of these anti-corruption acts does three things. They end secret money, so that's disclosure of who's giving money and to whom. So
0: because right now we have organizations that can give money— to super PACs or organizations like that, they can run ads in favor of certain things and you don't know who the people are who are running those ads.
1: Yeah, now when it comes to super PACs, we do require require disclosure of who's giving money. But there are these organizations... Wonkily called 501c4s because of the tax code, um, and you can, as an individual, give a lot of money to these organizations and never have your name disclosed. Um, and they again are able to to push for certain policies called
0: social welfare organizations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The term of art. So that's ironically one. named.
1: Yeah. So so end secret money. Number two, prevent political bribery. And this is what I was talking about before, where you shouldn't be able to both lobby for legislation and and pay for it, essentially. Um, Another reform that would fit under that heading is uh, closing the revolving door between being a politician and then becoming a lobbyist. Back in the 70s, the early 70s, only about 2% of our members of Congress went on to become lobbyists. Now more than half of them do. Mm. And it's often within just a, a year or two of leaving Congress. And so understandably, that creates this tough dynamic where you're currently serving as a member of Congress, but you're lining up your next gig. And you're supposed to be, say, regulating the financial industry but in two years, you're expecting to be sitting on you know, the board of an organization that is lobbying on behalf of Wall Street. Yeah. The third is giving every voter a real voice in our elections. And this all comes down to creating small donor systems where regular people mm-hmm. who may not have a ton of money are able to contribute to the political campaigns of their favorite candidates.
0: And specifically, one of the ideas... Is that people would have a hundred dollars given back from their taxes, I, I guess, and that money they could use to give to candidates of their choice. Mm-hmm. And what this would mean is there'd be a lot more small donors in politics because there'd be lots of people who don't give anywhere near a hundred dollars or maybe anything at all who would suddenly be empowered to give money to the candidates of their choice.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you named it. You described it perfectly. We call this a voucher system. Uh, It's been recommended by legal scholars for decades. We've seen it put in place for the very first time in Seattle, Washington. It was just voted into law by voters there on the ballot in November 2015. And that's what we're pushing for in cities and states across the country. Why does that matter?
0: I mean, there are rich liberals. There's George Soros. Doesn't he represent uh, liberals? And doesn't he represent people who otherwise don't give money to politics. Uh, So why can't we just depend upon the rich liberals to represent poor people?
1: There's actually really fascinating research that's come out only in the past few years looking at, wealthy people on both the right and the left and what their policy preferences are and comparing that to the preferences of people in other areas of the income and, and wealth spectrum. And the policy preferences really do differ. And unsurprisingly, they especially tend to differ on areas of you know, tax reform, uh, who pays what, how that money gets distributed throughout the economy. Um, but I think there's also a, a bigger question here just about equity, in our political system, Mm -hmm. everyone should have the opportunity to contribute to a candidate, especially when donations matter so much right now. Elections are really expensive. The 2016 election is expected to cost $10 billion. And when you have only 0.05% of Americans giving more than $10,000 in an election, that means that our politicians are dependent on 0.05% 0.05% of people to get elected. And of course, they're going to end up passing policies and even just prioritizing policies on their limited agenda during the year that matter to those people. I think a really good example of this is back in 2011, there was a lot of stuff going on in our country. There were protests out, you know, the Occupy Wall Street was going on, the Tea Party was was getting riled up. And then when you looked at what Congress was actually considering on the Hill, what they were debating, what they were spending months of their time debating, the number one issue was credit card swipe fees and how much credit card companies should get every time someone swiped a credit card. I think we can all agree, when we're failing in our educational system, when we have people dying because they don't have health care, when we have so many major issues facing our country, credit card swipe fees may not be the top priority. Okay,
0: so... Why did you come to the Goldman School of Public Policy? It sounds like you were doing lots of interesting things before you came. So, what kind of organization like this offer you?
1: Yeah, well, so my background's in communications, and I'm continuing to do some of that work now. And what I realized is that before coming to the policy school, I was being I was being told what the policies were that I should be talking about. Right? It was kind of a disempowering position. Mm-hmm. I like taking complex policies and translating them into words that everyday people can understand, but I also really want to know what I'm talking about, and I want to know that I'm advocating for things that I truly believe in. Um, so for me, it was really about becoming a more informed advocate.
0: And? And? Do you feel like uh, in the year you've been here that you have become more informed?
1: Oh, most definitely. Okay, can yeah. you give
0: an example? I mean, what have you, a specific thing that you think you've sort of learned to, or a way to think or something like
1: that? Yeah, so one example is that when you look at the money in politics community, a lot of people talk about overturning Citizens United mm-hmm. as the solution to fixing this problem. Um, but once I learned how to dissect a given policy problem and figure out what the root cause was, I quickly realized that this sort of, legalized corruption had been happening in our country long before 2010, when Citizens United was passed. Um, I was able to examine the the policymaking process at a state and federal level and understand how power was being exchanged well before Citizens United. And it really shifted my focus to some more structural reforms that I think are really important. So it
0: gave you a deeper knowledge of how the system really worked and a sense of what the Other options might be, because overturning Citizens United is very difficult. What's next? You're going to continue on this campaign with Represent Us?
1: Mm -hmm. We're trying to pass two statewide anti-corruption acts in the 2016 election. The states will be announced soon, and hopefully about 10 citywide anti-corruption acts. And then after the election, I'm going to come back to Goldman and finish up some more work here.
0: Great. So... You're trying to do this on a city by city and state by state basis, mm-hmm. which also, given the gridlock in Washington, is maybe a sensible strategy, given the maybe impossibility of changing what's going on in washington is that is that the idea
1: That's the idea. Uh, there's a plenty of corruption of this legalized corruption that's happening at the state level, a new report looking at the potential for corruption in states didn't give anybody above a C grade. Mm. Uh, No state earned more than a C, and 11 states flunked. So there's a lot of work that we can do at the state level to tackle things, uh, to tackle problems that can make our educational systems better, our criminal justice system better, all the things that our our states are in charge of legislating.
0: Well, great. Thank you. Thank you for being a Goldman School student. Uh, We're so lucky to have you here. You've added an enormous amount to the school, and thank you for all that you're trying to do to make America a better place. Thank you.